Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21. Let's read this together this morning. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As often as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, he was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, this servant who had been forgiven much and now was taking out on another person, was greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you, and should not you, have had mercy on your fellow servants, as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do with every one of you if you do not forgive your brother in your heart. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you for already of the joy that you've brought. God, even in worship, that you brought to mind about forgiveness today. Lord, we all carry so many burdens that we're not even aware of. We are challenged daily with forgiveness. God, this is not a light subject nor an easy subject. And so, God, I pray that you would help me to communicate this message. Holy Spirit, would you just begin to open our ears, hearts, and minds to what you have to say, Lord Jesus. You are good. You are faithful. You hold us in your hands. And God, this is a good thing that we're hearing today. God, would you help me to communicate, anoint these words in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So welcome to church. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, I'm sorry. Um, But at the same time, this is such a beautiful message. Forgiving when it hurts. I was 15 years old. Um, youth, I've grown up in the church my entire life, loved the church, I've seen the good, bad, and ugly of the church, um, and uh, it was 15 years old, I was going to uh, a youth group, we had an amazing youth group at our church, that's pretty much kept me through my teens, we had an amazing youth group that gathered, and actually we collaborated with four other churches in the area, we brought all our youth groups together 
We were going to meet every single Tuesday night um, to disciple together, to worship. And these were all different streams of ministry. So we had the Baptist. We were the Crazy Charismatics, which they made fun of. We had the Vineyard and just other different movements of church coming together, which was beautiful. Like, that brings so much joy to my heart, to learn all the different types of the flow of Jesus. And so we gathered on a Tuesday night. This was the first Tuesday night. So I'm 15 years old, right? Girls in the room. There are girls in the room, and you're checking out. You're acting cool. You're doing the little side hand up, just checking out your eye, who's worshiping, who's not worshiping. You're trying to stand as far back as possible, right? Like as a youth leader, you're like, kids, just come forward, and all the cool kids are at the back because you're just trying to suss out what is going on in this environment. And so we've had worship, and then we break into small groups. Bearing in mind, you've got four different groups of churches, about 12 to 15 people. That's Jesus. Hello, Jesus. Um, Coming together in a group and space. And so we go around announcing our names, which is fair enough. And so you're going through the names, da-da-da-da-da, and it comes to my name. My name's Johnny. And I said this name, and what I thought was my friend in the circle said, that's not your name, you're Johnny, da-da-da-da. And I actually can't say the phrase because Rach said, it's far too insulting, and by the time you explain it, it will horrify people. (laughs) Because there's so much English slang to it. But no, but no, even though in that moment, there was so much pain attached to it. Because what had happened was, it would have been fair enough just to throw like that name, which was actually really derogative. It was a, uh, a body part attached to my name, and it was just like shame in that moment. And it could have just gone away, but this other guy called Tim Harris was in the group. Now, later I'd find out that Tim was the jock, and he was just the big personality, and he thought it was hilarious. And he goes, Johnny, da-da-da-da, that's hilarious. You're always going to be called that now. Right. And you didn't realize, suddenly in that moment where my friend was like, oh, what have I done? Because later down the month, he apologizes. But that wouldn't be the first time that this supposed friend of mine would call me out in front of people. In fact, it was a regular occurrence when this group would come around, they would just attach a name, different names, try and push me down, suppress me. And so I'm journeying through this message of forgiveness, and I spoke to my mom, I was like, mom, like, can I... I can't really remember too many moments of trauma in my life. And she goes, well, there was this time. And so she reminded me of this whole story. Trauma comes back over me again. I'm just like, oh, sitting back in that moment, that name so real that I thought I'd suppressed down. But for all of us, we have a story. For all of us, we have a name or a moment that we didn't deserve, but it got attached to us. And it destroyed us. And I... I, be honest with you, it was a journey of shame which came over my life because I'm not much of a fighter, right? You know, I'm trying to work out God's rest and love, though I have got a quick tongue on me because of it. And so it kind of taught me just this endless kind of shame that came upon my life, and it chained me. It chained me as a teenager into my 20s, and by God's grace have I been healed of that moment that rooted to so much within my life. But we're in a series at the moment beauty in the process. We're trying to recapture what it means to follow Jesus in the process, in the slow. It's really slow becoming like Jesus. It feels like an eternity. For you who have walked a long life, you're nodding away saying, yeah, I thought, I thought it would be quicker than this, but I'm still stuck in this moment. 
It's the beauty in the silence when God doesn't speak, when we can't hear his voice anymore. What do we do? How do we find the beauty in the silence? It's in the desert, in the dry spaces where we find most difficult, where we feel like we're broken and we've got nothing left to give. How do we find Jesus in those moments? And it's building upon a rock rather than sand. So if all of those messages are new, they're online, go watch and uh, listen back on those. But today... I want to recapture what it means to find beauty when forgiving, in forgiving when it hurts. And so, as I said before, we've all got a story that comes to mind. When I bring forgiveness, you have a list of names that come forth. You have your own stories of shame. And so, what does Jesus' teachings mean for my pain? for my traumas, for my abuse, for my problems. And I feel like in this story when Peter, so Jesus already had a bit of just context for where Jesus, Peter launches in. Jesus already started, hey, I want you to forgive your brothers that when there's sin involved, you're meant to go to that person. And if that person doesn't repent, you're meant to bring it before a group of people. If that doesn't work, you're meant to bring it before the church. And if then it doesn't work out to love them as tax collectors. So Jesus come with that teaching, and Peter being Peter, right, comes in and said, came and said to him, Lord, how often? You could imagine this moment, Peter taking Jesus to one side, and Jesus is like, oh, no, not again. He's about to say, rebuke me or whatever. But Peter comes with his question, following it, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? You all have a number in your mind. How many times? Because you wouldn't understand, Johnny. You wouldn't understand the abuse that I've been through, the abandonment, the rejection, the lies. I've been cheated on. What about when you found that text or that deceit, that lie from your closest friend? Or when you found out that your friend was speaking behind your back, was shaming you? What about those kind of lies? Maybe parents that abused you, close loved ones which hurt you. Maybe in relationships you experienced abuse over and over again Johnny, how many times do I have to forgive them? Maybe for you, it's on the other end of the spectrum. You wouldn't understand, I've done so many wrong things. How can God even forgive me? I don't deserve it. We all have a number, right? If we're honest. And so Peter comes out with a number seven. Just some context of the day. Jewish people typically forgive, gave you three times. In Amos, there's this quote passage of God forgiving three times. And so Peter's going above and beyond as Peter does. I'm going to double it and then seven. Sounds so perfect and wonderful, right? Like seven times, I am holy, Jesus. I'm Peter. I've already worked out who you are. You're the son of God. I'm going to double it and one. I'm going to be seven in my uh, assumption. And so it's amazing his response that Jesus comes back with. You say seven, seven times, but I don't say that. I say 77 times. Now, for the Bible nerds in the room, just a bit of context here because this is really interesting to me. This number was not just like a perfectionate number, not just seven times seven. Like, obviously, he's saying you've got no choice. You keep on forgiving. But also, these two numbers appear in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Cain, who killed his brother, the first committing of sin, he said, if I go out to those people, so that will kind of wreck your framework of Cain and Abel being the only people, there are people out there that are going to harm me. I need your protection. Jesus said, if, God said, if you uh, are attacked in any way, I will seven times 
revenge on them. That's in Scripture. And so down uh, Cain's lineage, Lamech, one of his kind of like great-great-grandchildren, killed two people this time. And he said, if Cain has seven times, I'm going to have 77 times. These two numbers. So Jesus is saying, you have heard it said in the Torah, in the old passages, this number. I am setting about a framework of revenge that undoes the brokenness of this world. You say seven times, but I want to bring about a wholeness and forgiveness of 77 times. In fact, you don't stop forgiving. And in your heart, you hear that, right? You as Christians know this, but objection. Objection, your honor. In your heart, you're like, no go. There's a number in my mind. I can't go there. Objection. And so Jesus, like an amazing rabbi, tells a story. He tells this story of a man, and we don't know what he's done wrong or how bad a servant he is, but he's really bad. Can I be honest with you? He's got 10,000 talents. Again, some biblical context to help you understand this. Talent is worth 6,000 denarii. Denarii was, you got one denarii for working one day's worth of work. That was the standard of the day. So if you feel like you're bad by your pay, these guys had it way worse. So one denarii. So this person had uh, 10,000 talents. So that equates to 60 million denarii. That's 60 million days worth of work. So if he worked every single day, 365 days, I've done the math for you, don't worry, 164,000 years it would take for him to pay that back. Let that sink in for a moment. 164,000 days, years of work. And it's funny that the servant even says, I'll pay you back. Like, as a listener of the day, the people would have been laughing. There is no way that you could pay 164,000 days, years worth of work. This debt is impossible. And so we've all felt the pain, haven't we, of when we have that debt that we cannot pay. For you, student loans is a real basis. It's a debt that I'm just never going to be able to pay. For some of my friends who have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt, it's just like it's uncomprehendable, the debt that we have. But then the king forgives him. Now, as a listener, that would have been incredibly shocking because 10,000 talents of the day was almost like the largest number that they could count to in that day and period. Now, we've got trillions, so if this helps you understand it more, he was trillions in debt. He was a bad servant. Like, I don't know how many people were trillions in debt, but he was there. And he had done either bad management, just like an evil person, like he was off. Yet the king turned around and said, no matter how big the debt was, now, how big the trillions are, I forgive you. And this would have been shocking to the listener. And then we carry on the story after this immediate plea. But then the same servant, who had just been forgiven the most ridiculous sum of money, goes out and finds someone who owes 100 denarii. So 100 days worth of work. 164, 60 million days of work. 100 days of work. It's just, un, it's unfathomable. In the same breath, this person being forgiven, he literally goes out to find another servant and throttles him by his neck. 
holds him and says, pay me what you owe me. Pay me. In the same breath, maybe even the same day, in the same moment, he goes and takes it out on another person. And the story, a listener would have just been like, still rejoicing at just an amazing act of grace. And in the same moment of clapping, just slowing down and just horrified at same action coming about in that very same moment. It's interesting that it goes on that in respect, they see this action come on. And the king calls the servant wicked. Instead of joy, we find wickedness. And it's interesting that God doesn't only call moralness evil, but he says, if you don't extend the same compassion given to you, you are evil. You're evil if you don't show the same compassion. We get this idea of debt. Whenever there is an action of wrong done, there is a debt to pay. No matter what. So just imagine with me. Um, we get this, right? Maybe you drove here today or this week. You were cut off in traffic. Someone came in front of you. Maybe you're trying to go into Pittsburgh, and the Pittsburgh Bridge is just horrible. I'm sorry. Or the tunnel into Pittsburgh is shocking as well. Kara travels it a lot. And so there's a lot of forgiveness needed in that moment as they cut off. But let's be honest, when someone cuts you off or tries to sneak in after you've been roadworks, right, in PA, ridiculous as well, you're going down to a single lane and this person has the nerve to go all the way down on the other lane to try and cheat their way out of it. And you're like, yeah, no go, right, buddy? No go. I'm going to lock in as closely as possible. But somehow they get in. And so you're looking through the rearview mirror to them just like, I'm getting you, or you try and drive alongside them, you know, some of you maybe give the birdie, depending on how angry you are, or you just give them the stare, you know, that stare that you give people, because what are you doing? They owe you a debt. They owe you a debt. They owe you a pain that you need to get hold of, but maybe something a little deeper today. They took the best years of my life. They took my time. They robbed my money. They deserve to pay. Offense is a debt we carry. Why do I have to forgive them, Johnny? They did me wrong, and we become the judge. Jesus finishes with those haunting words at the end, and that you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he paid his debt, so my heavenly Father will do to you as well. There is a condition of unforgiveness that creates a present hell in our lives. For me, as a minister, you won't hear me talk preaching much about hell because hell is present. People experience hell every single day of their lives when they're not connected with Jesus Christ. When they're not experiencing the Lord, Savior of that release of forgiveness, you are experiencing a present hell. Jesus is saying, you are locked, you are chained when you don't forgive. Now, just a definition of what forgiveness is to the biblical writers. Forgiveness, a female, is to release, to let go, to counsel, to give up. We hear that phrase, we know it, but that doesn't feel so easy. That's the way of the kingdom of God. When God announced his kingdom, he said, I have come in my kingdom, repent my kingdom is at hand. When Jesus spoke about speaking to his heavenly Father, you know, our Father, the Lord's Prayer, mentions about forgiveness. 
And then he comes back and even highlights it. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. It is so important to the way of the kingdom of God to release, to let go, to counsel, to give up. And we know this to be true, but yet we find so hard. So just a quick couple of things of what forgiveness is not, I think is a great place to start. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You were created to remember. You were created to remember. For better or worse, some of you have amazing memories, and some of you do not have good memories. I, for one, do not have a good memory. It's a blessing and a curse. I don't remember. My wife has a great one. Isn't it amazing? The wives have such good memories all the time. Like, you did this. Did I? Did I really do that? I don't remember that. Uh, But forgetting... Forgetting is not forgiveness. You were created to remember. And in fact, we suffocate ourselves by trying to forget. You actually cause yourself more pain by saying, I'm just going to forget it. I'm just going to repress it. Because we feel helpless because we were born to remember. You were born to remember. And so the pathway to forgiveness is actually to remember. The pathway to wholeness is to remember. We don't pretend it didn't happen, but we remember. Forgiveness is not a feeling. So many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, we have said this phrase, I'm not ready to forgive. I don't feel like forgetting. And forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice to release. It's a choice to forget. It's a choice to let go. It's not your emotions dictating your future. A lot of times we let forgiveness not settle in, and it actually shapes our future as we hold on to unforgiveness. Thirdly, denying something is a sin. To be forgiven is not a measuring stick of justice. Forgiveness is not a measuring stick of justice. It's a framework to invite Jesus to come heal you. It's not allowing a toxic person back in your life, please hear me. It's not allowing a toxic person back into your life. But forgiveness is a one-way street. I had conversations this week with people about what forgiveness is. And I was amazed at what people said. Well, I've got unforgiveness because I've not had a chance to tell them. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two separate things. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It's not denying something is a sin. It's not a stick of justice, but it is freeing you to allow Jesus to come heal you in your hearts. And forgiveness, as we well know, and I know that I don't need to remind anyone in this room, but is not a one-time event. You don't just suddenly get to be like, did that, did a great job, let go, because it just comes back and back and back over and over again. It's a deliberate choice It is a discipline. It is a practice. We've been speaking a lot about spiritual practices. Forgiveness is a spiritual practice that we must hold in our lives. So what is forgiveness? I love this uh, phrase from Dr. Gary Bashir. He phrases this. The first part, I think, is just is good, but the second part's even better. My personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt to pay them back 
for their offense. In, in essence, what we exactly just said, forgiveness is releasing, it's letting go, it's counseling. But this second part is what people miss out on in the whole forgiveness process. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. In essence, what we do is we either transform the pain or we transmit the pain. And a lot of times, Christians, we feel like we release it, we forgive, we let go, but you do not truly forgive because you still transmit the anger. Do you have that friend in life that just beats the dead horse? I forgave them, but reels off all the other things. They keep bringing back the memories, the pains, and it just doesn't feel like they've changed the emotion. They haven't changed the emotion. And so what we want to do, rather than paying the debt, like the evil servant who said, like we all do, I've been forgiven this incredible thing, yet I'm going to hold this over another person's head. I'm going to hold this hundred denarii over another person's head, and I will transmit the anger. I will transmit the fear. I will transmit the brokenness. And for me, in my story, that's what was happening. Even though I thought I had forgiven that person, I was still angry towards them. I was still filled with shame because I was still chained by it. I wasn't letting it transform me, and so I was transmitting it. Like the king, what if we absorbed the pain with God's help? Instead of saying, you pay the debt, I hold it over you, I let God come and transform it in my heart. If we don't transform the pain, we transmit it. And so we get the emphasis in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. I'll just quickly flip over there just to read this to you. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. This is what Jesus means. The heart that is not open to grant forgiveness is not actually open to receive forgiveness. A heart that is not willing to give forgiveness is closed off to actually receive forgiveness in their own lives. It's not a formula, but it's actually a heart posture. If you are not willing to let go, you are actually not willing to receive because you're holding on to baggage. How can you receive something if you're holding on to something? That's what Jesus is saying in that moment. And so I'm a practical preacher. Can I give you some wisdom here today? This is how I love to preach. For many others would love to sit in that moment and feel the pain. I'm an action-orientated guy. I want to give you some steps to be able to walk this through. And what better than this guy? He looks like someone that I want to listen to. Dr. Everett Worthington. Don't you get that picture? You get a picture. I had to put a picture with it just to show you a picture of him. Because I was like... This guy, he spent 40 years, Jesus follower, PhD, super smart guy, looking at reconciliation, looking at forgiveness. He's a counselor. He's an amazing guy. Definitely get into his books, Dr. Everton Worthington. And he has a book about five steps towards forgiveness, and it's called Reach. And so just for the remainder of our time, I want to just walk through a process with you so that we can be people that can walk this out in our spirituality. We game this morning.
You've got no choice. So that was just a friendly uh, jump out there. But REACH is this great program because the importance of facing our pain to hold it, and we want to replace the pain. We want to hold the pain, and we want to replace that emotion with something more positive, with something that God, I'm not trying to suppress. I'm trying to let you take hold of an emotion and change it. Like the king, we want to love our enemies. If the greatest commandment that God gave was love your enemies, you know, that's even further than your neighbor because who is your neighbor? Everybody. Like if we want to be perfect, if we want to be complete like our heavenly father is, then we need to learn how to transform our emotions from the pain and the shame that is attached to the trauma and enable us to be able to bring about new emotions when we think about the situation. And you know, obviously, this is not a one-time event. This is not five steps, you're done. This is a lifelong process that we are about to go through right now. So first one, recall the hurt. So if you're a note maker, get your phones out. I would encourage you to write this down. This guy has 30 to 40 years worth of knowledge. You're not going to remember it. So I really would remind you right now, get out a phone, get out something to write this down, because this was incredibly helpful to me. I'm not prideful to think I know all the answers. I want to lean into someone else who has more wisdom than I do. And so the first step is to actually recall the hurts. We want to forget, we want to minimize, but only, uh, a quote from the book, only realists heal. Only people who are realists, who actually take hold of the situation, don't push it down, don't suppress it, don't just make it a positive situation. Because how many of you do this? I do this. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. You know, they're just being who they were. Da, 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 da. You know, I've got all the positive energy to try and change that, but I don't actually forgive the person. So what he's saying is, bring it all up, but make sure you don't fixate yourself on the negative thoughts. Fixation on the negative thoughts is the enemy of forgiveness. This is why we need the aid of the Holy Spirit. When things come to the surface, you let the emotions come to the surface. You let all the pain, maybe some tears come to the surface, maybe anger and resentment, all that stuff comes to the surface. And we let it come. Now, we don't let it ride away. And this is why I'd recommend that you do it with a friend. So how do we do this? Maybe get away, journal, or with a friend, ask God to recall the event and let it come to the surface. Now, if it just gets wild and crazy and you just lose it, I would encourage you, and we have this ministry in this church, to take RTF, Restoring the Foundations. It's deep, deeper healing. You can do an issue focus. If you come to this moment, you're just like, I can't forgive my mother, my father, my best friend, that person who wronged me at work. If you lose it in that spot, can I encourage you to go get issue focus, to let someone pray over you to break it so you can start the journey? Because compared to the toxic pain of unforgiveness, uh, this is way worth it. Can I just tell you as a testament standing before you, the years of work that I've done from my teen years of that abuse that I received over and over again, that I stand before you not quiet and timid, but someone who knows who he is and is still working it out. I've still got layers. I've still got things to do. But the reward is so much more great. So for us to actually go beneath the surface 
We've talked about this, emotional spirituality. We cannot live compartmentalized lives. You can't be spiritual and not have emotional healing in your life. They don't jive. They are one. And so we need to go beneath the surface. We need to do the work and recall it. We don't excuse the pain, but we bring it to a healer who can bring about wholeness in life. So recall the hurt. Secondly, empathy. So empathize. He has this empty chair technique. And I'll tell you a story. There was a 30-year-old shut down emotionally, angry at his mother committing suicide at 10 years old. His father shut down because of the trauma. And this had caused him all sorts of pain. Can I tell you, if you suppress a memory, you actually suppress all your emotions. A lot of times people think that if I just suppress this emotion, this this moment in history, that I will just be able to carry on as normal. Your body doesn't work that way. It all comes together. So you will find that you're more numb as a person. You don't get as joyful as other people. You don't get as happy. You don't love as well because you don't suppress part of who you are. You suppress all of you. And so for us to do this journey, and so this this young 30-year-old Young, because I'm 36 now, so that is young now. Young 30-year-old came before just noticing that he was so locked in, so stuck at a 10-year-old pace because his mother had committed suicide. His father shut down because of the trauma. He didn't have a father that was present. Well, he was there physically, but he wasn't present emotionally. And so uh, the psychiatrist says that you should sit down and imagine, put a chair in front of you, his father sitting in front of him, and him seated looking at his imaginary father in the empty chair, and begins to relive the pains. You weren't there for me. I felt all sorts of loneliness, brokenness, pain. Where were you? And you begin to speak to that chair of all your pains, all your anxieties, and all those things. And then you do another thing. You switch over and you become the father. You sit down in the chair, and you begin to think and ruminate on why the father couldn't be there. I'd lost my wife. I had no idea how to walk out this journey. And he begins to imagine himself. He begins to empathize. He begins to put himself in the shoes of the father to begin to understand how he processed that journey. And then he did one more thing. He switched back to the son, and he then speaks to the father, I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry that I was angry at you. I'm sorry that I took it out on you. I'm sorry. And he began this holistic thing. In unforgiveness, I want to have negative thoughts towards another person. Because actually, it lifts me up and makes me the hero. But all this actually does, it creates bitterness in our hearts, it hardens our hearts, and we're unable to truly enjoy life. We want to keep everyone a monster and keep ourselves squeaky clean, which actually just leaves us in prison. It just leaves us broken. So how do we start? Well, we're going to have an opportunity in a moment. Pray for the desire for forgiveness. Some of you in this room are not ready to forgive that personal situation. And we want to pray, God, give me the desire to want to forgive. 
So it starts there. Maybe it's write a letter. Write out your emotions. Um, Tell your story to a friend. And if you're ready, and this shows great healing as well, if you're able to, to get stories from your enemies. In the genocide of Rwanda, horrific uh, mass devastation of killing and taking of lives. And what happened in that situation of reconciliation, the Rwandans would take uh, the stories of the day, but actually they would invite their enemies who cut, who killed, who raped, who uh, devastated all their communities. They would hear stories from their enemies to empathize. And it caused amazing healings in that situation. Empathy is the key. Third, altruistic gift. You know it's a PhD psychologist, or he was trying to make reach, and I was like, what kind of word could I stick in there? Altruistic, meaning uh, self-sacrificial gift. There is no reward for the gift. It is completely self-sacrificial. Studies show that those who gave forgiveness as a gift saw longer-lasting benefits. See, unforgiveness is holding another captive. Forgiveness is setting somebody free and realizing that somebody is you. Forgiving someone is realizing that holding them captive, actually you were holding yourself captive that whole time. And this, um, I have a a coach at the moment. Um, She is a spiritual director, a Roman Catholic church. She is super awesome. I love uh, having conversations. And she brought this great piece of wisdom to me. Uh, On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Notice that Jesus often forgave people. Your sins are forgiven. This is the first time that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, for me, I always thought it was Jesus saying, Father, sorry for what they're doing. You know, just try and brush it under the carpet. Like, I'm, I've been human. I get it. Like, they're just, they don't know what they're doing. Like, could you just forgive them? That's the way I kind of always read it. But she said, no, 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 no. It's not what was happening. Jesus said, uh, not to say I forgive them, it was because of God's gift of grace. Jesus was actually saying, Father, you are a gift. I need your strength right now to forgive them. You are the gift of grace that I need for these around me. And so he actually leaned into the Father and said, God, you are the gift I want to give today. It's the gift they need. Father, forgive them. It's a gift of mercy. Jesus saw the gift and needed the Father as a gift to give to those. And I think that's incredibly powerful for us to see that moment that Jesus was giving a gift. It multiplied his strength to give, to forgive. And we too can see exactly in the same way. When we bring forgiveness as a gift for the need of another person. Again, it doesn't right the wrong. It's still a sin. It's still a problem. But it actually releases you into wholeness. So how can we do this? Remember when another person forgave you. In the same way, forgive that person. Now, if you've never been forgiven of anything, there's a whole conversation that you need to have. But remember the times where, and if, if, it, if none of that helps, the cross. The ultimate sacrifice that was given, that all the sins that you commit, God forgives as we repent because of the cross. 
And so we can also give the gift, recognizing that we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. You all need forgiven today. Can I get an amen? We all need forgiveness. And so we need to hold forgiveness as a gift to set people free, knowing that actually we become free. It's like the old analogy. Uh, We try and give poison to the other person, expecting them to die, but actually we're drinking it and we're dying. Forgiveness is healing for who we are. And if we want to be lovers of our enemies, lovers of our neighbors, we've got to transform the pain, the unforgiveness, not transmit it. And so, fourthly, commit publicly to forgiveness. Now, that might seem a little far. It might feel a little painful to even do that. That's why I love that the Catholics, the way that they have forgiveness, they have actions of forgiveness that you go and do that. And as, as Protestants, because we really do affirm that we can speak directly to God, that we can hear from God, we're like, well, I just need to talk to God. I don't need to tell anyone about my forgiveness because it's just me and God. And actually, you deny yourself healing through that. Have you ever found yourself forgive someone and doubted it? You see the person, it resurfaces all the pains, all the traumas, and you're just like, oh, I thought I'd forgiven them. Have I really forgiven them? Like, why do I feel all this pain? Or maybe someone does the same sin towards you, and it brings all the pain back to you. Or maybe that same offender sins and does the same pain again. And so we question, did I even forgive them? And so what we do when we publicly forgive, and he gives this as a how-to. You can declare it over um, in front of a person, or you can actually write a certificate of forgiveness to that person with the terms and conditions. And so you can publicly do it with a friend. So when the trauma comes up, when the question comes, did I really forgive them? You have a document, you have a friend, you have someone that says, I can release them of that pain. I have done it. These are the terms and conditions. And if the enemy, who we believe there is a real spiritual enemy that comes kill, steal, and destroy, if he brings it to memory, that we can say, no. God paid for it on the cross. I have forgiven them. I have publicly made that declaration. There's something powerful in that healing. And uh, fifth and finally, for you guys who are achievers, we've done it. You've reached the fifth one. Congratulations. Hold on to forgiveness. We will always be tempted to fall back to think about the hurt and the person. These are not just five steps that we take to your success. These are not linear things, but they are movements that we go back and forth between constantly. And so we need to learn to not be tempted to fall back into the emotional anger. Remember, we're trying to transform the emotion. The memory's fine to come back up. Like, I don't have ill feelings towards that friend anymore. Like, I recognized that he was someone actually super insecure. He was overweight. He was someone that was bullied. He was super, super smart. Like, really smart. People used to make fun of him a lot. In fact, because of the pain and shame that I felt, and this is how the anger played out in my life, I would see him get bullied by other people and I would just stand by. Why should I try and save you when you try and tackle me? If I try and save you, they're just going to try and take me out as well. And so I was chained. And so what happens is, 
I understood. I sat, I sat him in the chair over this kind of process and said, I understand that you were bullied as well. And actually, you were so fearful in that moment that you just wanted to protect yourself and you attacked another person. It doesn't make it right, but I know that you suffer as well, and I forgive you. And releasing that pain has freed me up. It's freed me up to not hold that shame of that kind of like thing. And I, I hold on to it. There are moments that come in. There are situations where people will call me names or things that are close to that remark. And the trauma comes up. But all I say is I've forgiven them. And I hold on to the freedom that I have in Jesus. Amen? All right. So this is where we're at. So I just want a quick exercise. Final thoughts. We're going to do this over and over and over again. It's going to take layer by layer by layer by layer. And so today, uh, we're just going to invite Holy Spirit into a layer today. I want you to start small. Don't go after the big mountain that is your childhood trauma, but take a moment. Maybe it was this morning with your other half. Maybe it was a child this morning as you were yelling at them to get ready, or for us at the moment on the front row with Alicia, she was kicking off all sorts of things right there. Um, just that's kids, right? You can't control them. It's just the way life kind of rolls. Maybe there are things at the moment that you're struggling with, and I want you to bring them to service, because I think we're more like kings than we realize, that we have authority as kings because of Jesus Christ to bring shalom into people's worlds. What if in the most divided moment since the Civil War, because sociologists say that America is divided like the Civil War, what if we as Christians became the light of forgiveness to those around us? Wouldn't that show that there's a God? So often we think holiness as perfection, when holiness is living otherly. Living otherly as God is to forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness. That speaks volumes to friends. How can you forgive them for all the stuff they did? Because Jesus forgave me. Because this is what forgiveness has meant to me. Because I experienced the freedom of forgiveness. How can I not give this gift to other people? But more importantly, I need it. I cannot be chained to this moment, this emotion, this anger. I can't let bitterness come into my heart. If I want to see the beauty in the process of forgiving when it hurts, you talk about the compassion that enlarges in your heart. When I visually take hold of another situation. I recognize that friend's pain and problems. When I step outside of myself and say, I recognize that you suffer too, my heart and love expands in my heart. And that's the kind of love that we want to do. So, to